Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And Father, we humbly ask as we enter now into this time of worship by opening the word of God and just our hearts and our minds to just hear what you'd want to speak to us. We pray that you would truly give us an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to this part of your church through this particular portion of your word that was inspired by your spirit. So may he now be our interpreter and our teacher. We pray that you would let us hear clearly what you want to say to us from this portion of your word as a congregation and as a group of individuals as well, Lord. Give us that word that we need from you this day. And we ask you to speak to us and bless your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, as we begin another new year here, always certainly a good time to kind of take inventory and be thinking about some different things and maybe some questions to ask ourselves, certainly something important. How important is it to you to be led by the Spirit of the Lord? How important is it to you the value of someone else's soul, one person's soul and their eternal destiny in comparison to all the other things you could care about? Well, our passage this morning, timely as it is, actually gives us some lessons regarding, for example, being led of the Spirit of the Lord. It also gives to us, I think, some instruction regarding sharing the Lord with one individual and the value, obviously, that God places upon just one soul. As we see Philip being uprooted and sent to a desert area to literally just reach one man for Christ. Remember the backdrop, 
Philip has been used by the Lord to proclaim the gospel in the area of Samaria. And as he was there preaching the gospel, a great spiritual awakening, as we saw, happened in that city. And multitudes were being transformed by the power of the Lord. Multitudes of men and women were turning to Jesus for salvation. People were being delivered from demons. They were being healed from paralysis and health conditions. And it tells us that people were being baptized there to proclaim publicly their newfound relationship in Jesus Christ. And God was using Philip as a servant in a powerful way. God used Philip as an instrument there to start a healthy new work of the Lord in a new community that was not there prior to Philip's arrival. And the Lord was using Philip in this wonderful way. There was a powerful, fruitful work happening through Philip's ministry. And then at some point we see now the Lord interrupts that. And he gives Philip a new assignment and he reassigns him to a new location. Look at verse 26. It says, now as an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying to him in the midst of this spiritual awakening and this fruitful ministry, now the angel of the Lord gives a word, arise, Philip, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza And then Luke, giving commentary, says this area is desert. So notice the Lord speaks to Philip, giving him, you might say, a rather unusual command or instruction to follow. He's told to cease from this very fruitful work of God. He's told to refrain from continuing to minister where he currently was in order to depart and now to go to a new location a completely new geographic territory. Now, I have to understand, this would be a little bit of a challenging thing for somebody's human understanding. Put yourself again in Philip's sandals or condition, if you would. He's already, remember we saw at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, Philip has already once been driven from Jerusalem and he had to go through the process of resettling in Samaria. That's tough to do once. So he's already been uprooted from Jerusalem and the church there, resettled in Samaria, new work of the Lord's happening there. And now all of a sudden, as he's fully engaged and occupied serving the Lord, good things are happening. You might say, why would the Lord then ask Philip of all people? He's got plenty of individuals to use. Why would the Lord now ask Philip to once again, if you would, be uprooted, pulled away from the current ministry and the important things he's occupied in to go elsewhere at this time. But that's what we find happening in our text here. Notice also, Philip is given just a very simple command, if you would, just one simple step without any other explanation. He's not given a whole lot of details attached to this command. He's just told, look at it in verse 26, go toward the south traveling on a specific road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, and then what? I mean, okay, go south on that highway, on that particular road. Okay, that's that's good. But once I get on the road and I start going south, uh, is there a particular exit I'm getting off? Um, is there a, a city that I'm stopping at as a destination? I mean, uh, is there a, a reason why I'm doing this? For how long? And for what purpose am I doing this? What's the reason that you're sending me to this location? But no further details or information are supplied, just one simple command. Arise from where you're at and go there. 
That's all he gets at this point. Just one simple command, one step to follow, no details further regarding the reason for it or the fuller plan or what's going to happen when he gets there or next steps. And to make the command more challenging, Luke, who's writing the commentary here for us in verse 26, tells us, he fills in this detail, he describes that area that he's being sent towards. He says, this is desert. Luke's point, there's nothing out there. It's a desert. The Lord tells him to do this, and he says he's being sent to an area where it's not like it's populated with people. It's a road, Luke's trying to say, in the middle of nowhere. So again, why? what is this? Why would God be telling a person to cease from a current fruitful ministry to leave a busy, successful work already that they're engaged in to go to another new location? for no obvious indication or purpose or reason attached, but to head in the middle of nowhere where it's going to be barren and difficult and it's going to be a hard process. Why would the Lord do such a thing? It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense logically. Certainly it'd be a little bit scary and intimidating, yet God, knowing the future, knows exactly why he's uprooting his servant and now asking him to go to a new location. God knows exactly what's on his agenda and the purpose that would unfold once he began moving and when he ultimately arrived to where God was sending him to go. And and for our lives, sometimes the Lord's leading may come to you and I in a similar manner. Sometimes the Lord may say to one of us a simple instruction or command. He may tell you something that he wants you to do. He may ask you to start doing something or to begin heading in a particular direction. And it might challenge your reasoning. It might contradict maybe what what exists circumstantially. That's a contradiction to circumstances. It just that doesn't seem like that should line up. And the Lord may say to us, something that he wants us to do. And we may find ourselves probably kind of like Philip and his humanity, maybe thinking, Lord, why would you want me to do that? Lord, why? I don't see the purpose in that or the reason in that. Or we may ask the Lord, Lord, why would you want me to leave this, whatever it is, fill in the blank, why would you want me to leave this and go to that? Why would you want me to leave this and go there? And sometimes we find ourselves wrestling through those experiences as the Lord is leading us. And it's also very common when the spirit of the Lord leads us that we typically, like Philip, just get one simple command. We don't get A through Z. We just get A. And it's going to go through B and C and D and so on and so But we just get A. The Lord just gives us one simple step to obey, no explanation a lot of times. Many times, you know, as well as in my life, the Lord asks you to do something and he doesn't explain why he wants you to do it. He just wants you to do that. That one thing, that first step, that that one initial step of obedience. He doesn't tell us the full plan. And he's, you know, he's a wise father because if he told us the full plan, probably if we heard the full plan, uh, could you change the benefit package on that a little bit? I mean, what's, you know, and, and we'd probably just, we'd negotiate and we'd hesitate. I mean, we struggle enough as it is with one step sometimes. So the Lord just gives us one step. And again, why? He wants us to walk by faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, someone said to me before a long time ago, if there's ever a time in your life, Tony, when you're not in some way having to live by faith, you might want to ask yourself Why? Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're to be walking by faith. 
continuously in in all ways there should be some measure where we're trusting the lord we we don't have all the details we don't see everything we're just obediently taking the next one step in faith because god gives progressive revelation that's how god led abraham he told abraham leave your family leave your country go to a land and he's waiting okay what's it called that i will show you what yeah, I want you to pack up the ur hall and all the camels and the family. I want you to start moving in that direction. And when you get going that way, then I'll show you where you're going. But again, j- just the step. But as Abraham took a step, progressively God reveals more. And listen, that's how the leading of the Lord happens, ladies and gentlemen. It's progressive revelation. You take one step and then the Lord makes clear the next step. But until we take the first step, a lot of times we don't see the fuller and bigger picture. So Philip is given this challenging instruction, leave this you know, spiritual, incredibly fruitful thing that God's doing in Samaria and he's occupied in, leave it, go out into the desert. And Philip's giving this command and look at verse 27, pretty impressive. It says, so he arose and went. That's called faith and obedience. He arose and went. He knew he heard from the Lord and he trusted not his reasoning, his doubts, his thoughts, the the circumstances. What he trusted is, I know I heard the voice of the Lord. I know God's spoken to me. And he was confident that the Lord had spoken to him point blank and he acts upon what the Lord tells him to do despite the lack of further explanation, having no awareness of what the future was going to hold. It says the Lord said to him, arise and go. And the Bible says he arose and went. That's good. He arose and he went. And may we seek to do the same. When the Lord directs us, when the Lord's leading us, when the Spirit's prompting us, may we do the same. The Bible says in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. A mark of a child of God is that we are people who live being led by the Spirit of the Lord. That the Spirit of the Lord directs us on a daily basis and a continuing way in our decisions. So once Philip obeys what the Lord asks him to do, look as our text goes on, what happens? The plan of the Lord begins to unfold. It says, verse 27, he arose and went, and key word here, behold. God's saying the plan's going to unfold now. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, He had come to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning on this very road and sitting, verse 28, in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So here, notice, we begin to see God's plan starting to unfold now. Philip is starting to recognize some things because here we meet the man that apparently before Philip was aware, God was already observing this man, this Ethiopian. God was working in his heart there. God was drawing him to himself. He's seeking truth. This is somebody that God plans to save, a man from Ethiopia who wants to worship the God of Israel has gone there. And at this point, we're introduced and told a little bit about him here in verse 27. We see that this man was sort of a government diplomat from the nation of Ethiopia, a high-ranking official. The Bible says there that he was a eunuch of great authority serving under the queen that had charge, that is oversight or control, of the treasury of his nation. So we might say in our understanding, he was kind of the secretary of treasury for the Ethiopian nation. 
So he's got a pretty high-ranking diplomat, a man of power and influence and no doubt great wealth. The reason that he was a eunuch was because it was very common practice in that culture for kings to castrate their servants who worked close to the throne to protect any interference from their queen or their harem. And it also kept them focused upon their work and their work alone. So this man has had that experience. He's deeply obligated to the throne, but he's a man of great power and wealth and influence and importance. But notice, though he has all those things in his life, he's still empty. He still realizes there's still something missing. I'm a diplomat. I'm important. People listen to me. I have lots of wealth. I have power. I I can do all. But yet all those things, there's still a longing for God inside of him, a longing for spiritual understanding, because it says in verse 27 here that he made this long journey from Ethiopia all the way over to Jerusalem, it says, to worship. And he's now returning back home to his homeland. So he comes to Jerusalem having perhaps done some research about the God of Israel and and he's beginning to have this longing or, or basic comprehension of the God of Israel. So he travels to Jerusalem, no doubt with a large government caravan of his status and so forth. He comes there, he sees the temple. He spends some time worshiping in Jerusalem. So he sees the sacrificial system and the priesthood and all these kind of things. And while he's there, Again, being a man probably of great wealth, he had to have been because he obtains a very expensive thing. It tells us in our text here that he had possessed now a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And understand in that day, these were handwritten copies of scripture, no printing press. Uh, People meticulously hand wrote copies of scripture on scrolls and they were very expensive to obtain. So this man gets, perhaps why he's there, a scroll of Isaiah for his personal reading and he's on the ride home now. Well, it's a little bit of a journey from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. So he's got some reading material and he's reading through the scroll of Isaiah, looking for understanding, seeking truth from God. And God always takes notice when someone is seeking him. God always is faithful to give further revelation to any heart that genuinely wants to know him. And so in light of this here, we see this man who he's hungry spiritually. And now we begin to see the very reason that God uprooted his servant, Philip, who was very occupied in other ministry to send him out into the middle of a desert because God cares about one soul and god sees this one soul that's hungry to know the truth and 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 this shows us how much god deeply cares about one soul one individual being saved god takes this man away from having ministered to a whole city to go reach and minister to one person's soul and certainly a beautiful picture here upholding the value of ministry to one person to individuals to one-on-one evangelism. So Philip takes this long journey. He's on this desert road. And at some point he sees this caravan in the distance. It catches his eye, probably prominent government caravan. And Philip, like you and I here, he's just on this road. He doesn't have any information and he's traveling along and he sees this caravan. He says, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. So he sees this caravan there and he starts to wonder, wait a minute. 
Maybe there's some connection. Maybe that's the reason that the Lord sent me out here. Could that be the reason why? And as he's there seeing this, verse 29, look at it. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So the Lord brings the chariot into his path and then he gets his next instruction. Philip, that chariot's been waiting for you. (laughs) That's why I sent you out here, Philip. Go over there to that chariot. The spirit tells him to do that. Now question, how did the spirit tell Philip to do this? Well, we don't know for certain, likely, more than likely, just through a strong impression that came upon his heart and mind, a strong inner prompting, a voice from the Lord within him that just prompted him very clearly and prodded him with strong impression, go do this. And many times when we are being led by the Spirit of the Lord, that is how the Spirit of the Lord leads us. There is that strong inner impression that comes on my heart that I've come to know as, as it, that's the Lord speaking to me, as you perhaps have come to know, that's how the Lord's speaking to you. And there's just that strong impression from within and you sense the spirit saying, I want you to go do this or I want you to go over there. And, and there's just that strong prompting and impression from within. And once again, no further explanation. What does he get? Just take a step of faith, go over to the chariot. That's all he gets again. Uh, and when I get over there, the secret service is gonna kill me i mean i mean think about it that'd be like uh, think of people who are diplomats and surrounded with guards and government officials and the lord says to you hey there's mike pence run over there are you sure about that lord that is you not my flesh right (laughs) i mean understand this is somebody who potentially is kind of somewhat of a risky thing so he gets just one step but again Sometimes the Spirit may prompt you and I kind of like he does with Philip here. Sometimes, I hope it happens to you like it does to me, maybe the Lord brings somebody into your path, maybe it's somebody in your job, or maybe you're at a supermarket, or maybe you're at your kid's soccer game, or whatever. I mean, the Lord brings some person kind of into your path, and the Lord says to you, I, I want you to go over there to that person. And he kind of like zeroes you in, and he says, I want you to go, that person right there, yeah. And you're kind of walking across the park and saying, Lord, are you serious? Yeah, I want you to go over to that person. Or maybe you're sitting around your home or you're praying and having your devotions and maybe the Lord puts some individual on your heart or mind. Maybe it's somebody you haven't talked to in five months or five years. And he puts that person on your heart and mind. He says, call them. Call them, I haven't talked to them. Call them. And he just puts that impression on your heart or your mind that you should do that. And sometimes this is, again, how the Lord will prompt us. So Philip's told, go over. Verse 30, again, so Philip ran to him. Look what happens. He heard him reading out loud, that is, the prophet Isaiah. So without hesitation, Philip quickly runs over, I would say before temptation sets in, the temptation to disobey that could set in to hinder him, Philip heard the spirit and he ran over immediately, immediate obedience. And I think that's a great example again, because in such scenarios, I found it's always best to act immediately and obey the Holy Spirit without hesitation. Because if you take a little bit of time, it seems fear and logic can very quickly bring doubt, I know in my heart and mind. 
And then all of a sudden you, you kind of regress back and you quench the spirit and you don't respond. We have to be sensitive to the spirit's voice and leading. If the spirit of God prompts you to call somebody or to go over to somebody and you know it's the Lord, by faith, don't overthink it, don't ponder it because fear and doubt will set in and then you'll just quench the spirit and you'll retract and you won't do it. Like Philip, immediately before you get distracted, Go forth and do it. And that's an essential component, honestly, folks, to being led by the Lord and used by the Lord. Sometimes I think, I know I have, we've missed opportunities to be used by the Lord because we overthought it or we got fearful and, and we just didn't respond. And, and so don't overthink it. If the Lord wants to reach people and if you want to be used by the Lord and obey his will, when the Spirit prompts you, respond to the Spirit. So Philip acts in obedience, and when he goes over, can you imagine how marvelous this was? Verse 30 says, he heard him when he got to the chariot reading out loud the prophet of Isaiah. So no doubt Philip's at this point thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is the whole reason why you sent me out here. Lord, he hears him reading from the word of God out loud. Thus with a sense now of inward confidence, Philip boldly engages him in spiritual conversation. Verse 30 goes on to say that Philip, hearing him read Isaiah, said to him, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, he responded, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. So take notice, here you begin to see some important aspects as you go through this section of really personal evangelism. Take note with me of a couple things. First of all, that Philip did not just, probably as confident as he was, this was a divine appointment, I mean, it's pretty obvious here, but as confident as he was and as bold as he was going to be, he didn't start out just preaching. Do you notice the first thing he does in verse 30? He asks a question. He says, hey, I see you're reading the scripture. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, to me, that's insightful. He's wisely evaluating with the circumstances in front of him to better discern, okay, what really is going on here, Lord? And where is this guy at in his spiritual understanding at this point? What does he really believe or not believe yet? What does he know or not know yet? So he asks a leading question to further discern where this man is in his spiritual journey as well as to be able to see this man's level of openness. Because he could have said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy could have said to him, uh, I'm trying to figure it out, but I don't need your help. Okay, he's seeking, but he's not really open to being evangelized at the moment. Do you see the difference? And by asking, he's able to find out what's this man's level of openness, where's this guy at in this divine appointment that God's arranged at this moment. So, He's encouraging here to me in a very beautiful way because he sets a great example for really what I think we should always remember when we get opportunities to evangelize or share the Lord with a person one-on-one. -on -one. There's a great example. Don't ever forget it. Ask questions. You don't have to right away just unload the sawed-off shotgun of the gospel and just, and just start you know, blazing people with the four spiritual laws. It's okay to have a conversation with people. That's what most normal human beings do. We have conversations. We dialogue with one another. And a part of conversations is at times asking questions, showing interest in people. See, when you and I ask questions in a conversational way, 
That's loving. It's respectful to another person. It shows we genuinely care about them, that we're not just looking to accomplish some goal. It reveals to people, you know, reveals to us where people are at by asking questions. Hey, you know, uh, you know, so do you have any spiritual beliefs? What a great leading question. And then be quiet and let them answer. Well, yeah, or no, or I mean, I went to church. And then listen because then you find out where they're really at and what they already believe. And then you can, from there, connect with where they're at in the process. Because it may be that maybe you don't need to lay all the foundation. Maybe they already have a foundation. Or maybe they have no foundation. And by asking what they do, have you ever read the Bible? Do you believe the Bible, God's word? Do you, have you ever been to church before? Who's, who do you believe that Jesus is? How do you believe the way to get to heaven is? And just ask questions and let people share their heart and actually listen. It helps indicate as well, as I said, how open they are. Because you can kind of discern when you ask questions, are people really wanting to share? Are they kind of just shutting down? And you can kind of sense, okay, this person seems very open, or maybe they're a little bit open, or maybe they're really not that open at all. And so I ought to just find you know, balance in what I'm doing. Philip also, to me, is able to see a clear open door and embrace it because verse 31 says, that he says to Philip, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And then he invites Philip to come up and sit in the chariot with him. Now that's called an open door there. You don't want to miss the open doors either. Ask questions, but when you ask questions in dialogue, if obvious things are happening like here where somebody says, you know, I don't understand, but could you tell me how to get saved? That's a pretty clear indication they're open. I, could you guide me? I really don't know what the Bible says, but I'd love to know. That's a pretty clear indication that's an open door. So when you see an obvious indication of an open door, I know this isn't rocket science, but I'm going to say it anyway, capitalize on it, right? If it's obvious this is a clear open door, don't walk away from the open door. Stop what you're doing. This is an eternal moment and take the occasion to share with people. And if they want guidance, give them guidance. Walk through it with confidence and share with them to the best of your ability. So he says, come up and sit with me. I can't understand unless you guide me. Verse 32 and 33 tell us that he was reading actually is a quote from Isaiah 53, that section where it said, that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And then verse 34, the eunuch then answered Philip saying, I ask you, now he's asking questions too, of whom does the prophet say these things? Of himself or of some other man? So he's reading of all places, from Isaiah chapter 53. No doubt one of the most descriptive places in the Old Testament of the Messiah, of the Savior, Jesus. Verses that give clear explanation. You could not get a more descriptive portion of Scripture to find somebody in that day reading in their Bible to talk to them about Jesus and the way of salvation. 
I mean, this has the fingerprints of God all over. He's reading how someone suffered in a substitutional way for other people, how the Lord allowed some person to be wounded for our transgressions, that though all we like sheep have gone astray, that the Lord had laid on this person the iniquity of us all, and he died like a sacrificial lamb being led to the slaughter for the sins of other people. And that this person, though they were innocent and humble, that their life, verse 33, was taken away from the earth, that they were put to death, though they seemed innocent, and that he was dying and being punished for the sins of other people to help them like a sacrificial lamb. And notice then in verse 34, as Philip realizes this is the section he's reading, Isaiah 53, describing Jesus prophetically, Then he asked this question of all questions. The eunuch says to him, tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or some other person? He's saying, who is this person being described? Tell me, please. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So Philip capitalizes on the situation. He knew the Lord had set this up and had sent him here to share Jesus with this man. He walks up and finds him reading Isaiah 53, one of the clearest prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah and the Savior for our sin. And the man then says to him, hey, by the way, can you tell me who's the Bible talking about here? Now, At this moment, I think you get here probably in verse 35, one of the best verses in the Bible as well that describes personal evangelism. In just one verse here, you have this beautiful analogy and picture of one-on-one personal evangelism. One person trying to lead another person into a saving experience with Jesus Christ. Again, It was not a large crowd. This is one individual sharing the Lord with another individual. As I said earlier, Philip was used to lead a city to Christ. Now the same guy's being used to lead one soul to Christ. One soul. Note here, I think a few helpful insights the Holy Spirit lays out, even in verse 35 right there, to help us understand. How do we do this one-on-one evangelism thing? Because let me say something. More often than not, the way that most of us are going to have an opportunity to lead people to Christ and see people get saved is just like this. It's through one-on-one relational evangelism. One Christian talking to another person, friend, co-worker, fellow student, somebody you know at your job, somebody you meet that's a complete stranger, but it's a divine appointment and the Lord wants us one-on-one in conversational ways to tell people about Jesus, how to be saved, and be able to lead people to Christ. And so I think there are great things to glean. Let me mention a few things we can take note of from verse 35. First of all, I would say this. This is important. You want to lead somebody to Christ one-on-one? We need willingness and courage to engage in spiritual conversations. Let me say that again. Willingness and courage to engage in spiritual conversations. Do you see what verse 35 says? It says, Philip opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. That's descriptive, but that's also necessary, right? We have this little phrase we say as Christians, preach Jesus at all times and whenever necessary, 
use words. Well, that's cute. I understand the concept of being a testimony. There's some measure of truth to that. We're to be witnesses. And if you don't live for Christ, people probably aren't going to let you talk to them about Christ. But it is necessary to always use words to lead people to Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's how people get saved. They need to hear an explanation of the gospel message and our condition as sinners and what Christ has done for us as the Savior. So that means that we have to do like Philip, we have to open our mouths. And that's what Philip represents here. From the first moment he goes over to the chariot, Philip opened his mouth, he asked a question, and then he dialogued and engaged with him and he explained some, some things as he was asking questions. And then at the set moment when the man said, hey, can you tell me, please, who is this person that the, the saving individual that's being described in Isaiah 53? And then he says, okay, now I have to open my mouth and tell you that that person is Jesus. And this is how you get saved. And so he told him directly and specifically by having the courage to address such things. And we have to do the same. We have to have the willingness to open our mouths. That's a lot of times the hardest part for us, right? Because we get scared, we get nervous, and we just, we never open our mouths. We have to be willing to engage in spiritual conversations. We talk about everything else. Think of all the other horrible things people talk about. We have something important to talk about. And we have to engage in spiritual conversation, turn conversations into spiritual conversations. Secondly, take note as well that effective evangelism happens when utilizing the scripture, the word of God. It says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture in Isaiah 53. In other words, he was able to lead this man to Christ from using Isaiah 53. He led somebody to Christ using the Old Testament. Wow, that's impressive. We have the entirety of the New Testament, a lot more clarity and more descriptive scriptures. Certainly, we should be able to use the scripture to lead people to Christ. But I want to say this, when you're trying and endeavoring to share Jesus with people or lead someone to salvation, utilize the scripture. Speak the word of God to people. Whether you can quote the word of God, you memorize a verse or two, or whether you can bring them to a place in the word of God, there's nothing more powerful than the living inspired word of God to deposit into someone's heart to bring about faith and salvation. We can say the same truths with our own words, but that's not as effective as the actual word of God itself. Use the word of God when you share the gospel with individuals. And thirdly, take notice as well in verse 35, I would say one other thing, make the focus of what you share, pointing people to Jesus specifically. Make the focus of what you share, pointing to people to Jesus specifically. It says he opened his mouth beginning at the scripture and he preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus. He didn't tell him about church. Do you go to church? Do you read your Bible? That's, that's all okay. He, you, the church didn't save people. People need an encounter with Jesus. Keep the focus where it's supposed to be to the point on the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Do you know Jesus? Jesus is the way to get to heaven. Only Je keep the focus. People, what do they do? They want to take it all other directions. Keep bringing it back to Jesus. 
and proclaim to people what they need to know. The focus of the matter is they need an experience with Jesus. Make sure that's what you're proclaiming to people. So from from what follows, it's pretty obvious, this divine appointment, this man seems to believe and receive the Lord. And verse 36 goes on to tell us in our encounter, as they went down the road then, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch then went down into the water and he baptized him. So as they're traveling down the road, the Ethiopian man sees water and he desires to make a public demonstration now of his new commitment to Christ. He's had an experience with Jesus. He's expressed his faith and he wants to make a public announcement of this new union with Jesus and his decision to follow him as Lord. And how does he do it? The Bible shows us here. He did it by being water baptized. He wants to be water baptized to make his commitment outward to those in the caravan that he's a new follower of Jesus to Philip and others who would be present to see this. And again, Jesus himself asks and requests in the Bible that we express our faith outwardly through water baptism. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Mark 16, Jesus said as well, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Again, but there's that connection. Jesus asks us to be water baptized, to express outwardly the experience of conversion that happens inside of us inwardly. That's what water baptism is. It's an outward announcement to the world publicly of what happened inside of our heart in an unseen place where people can't see what happens on the inside. It's our way to outwardly identify with Jesus publicly to announce we're his followers. And what's beautiful here, you notice in our text, a few things is as a follower of Jesus, this man had a desire to be baptized. You notice it was his desire. He said to Philip when he saw the water, hey, what hinders me from being baptized? In other words, he wanted to express that he was a follower of Christ. He didn't want to hide it. He wanted to openly disclose it. And when somebody's a genuine follower of Christ, they should want to openly disclose that out of love and devotion to the Lord, right? I do weddings all the time as a pastor. I've never once yet had a couple say, uh, we'd like to get married, but could you do it privately? Uh, maybe we can meet you. Please don't ever tell anyone. Uh, just keep it a secret, right? I mean, people get married publicly openly it's an announcement hey we're together we're off the market for everyone else we're together now and as christians that's that's what we're saying we're being water baptized we're no longer in the world we're married to christ now we're followers of him we're not ashamed of that we want people to see outwardly what's happened inside of our heart and observe as well the qualification for being water baptized, what was it? Sincere faith alone. He says, what hinders me? Is there anything that hinders me from being water baptized? And Philip says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He didn't say if you attend our church classes, if you complete the courses, then he said, if you believe sincerely 
and you believe no doubt what is right and he expressed i believe that jesus christ is the son of god so he believed and he believed accurately what it meant to be saved and who jesus was notice as well verse 38 the process of how they baptized in the early church it says verse 38 that both philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized them in the early church it seems that they did baptize by full immersion that he went down into the water the man was buried under the water submerged in the water and then brought back up and resurfaced again a picture of being buried and then disappearing and then coming back again and resurfacing because it's a picture of our connection to christ jesus died for our sins he was buried and after three days, he resurfaced again, being resurrected and coming back to life. And that's what water baptism is. It's a way for us to symbolically represent something has happened, that we were buried with Christ in our baptism, but were raised again in the newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said it most pointedly in Galatians 2, where he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and that's what we're announcing in water baptism as we put someone down under the water they go down in one condition and when we bring them back up that's a whole different condition when they're soaking wet right but we're picturing they're one with jesus and that old condition that old person they were we're burying that person doesn't exist anymore and we bring them back up they're new they're a new person and we want to represent that and that's why this is done in a public manner by a follower of Christ. Well, look how our story concludes. Kind of a unique miracle caps off the story. It says, when they came up out of the water, then the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. But then Philip was found, the Bible says, at Azotus and passing through, preached in all the cities till he came to Samaria. So this unique miracle happens at the closure of this event here. It says the spirit of the Lord, after all this takes place, catches Philip away and kind of just transports him and redeposits him in a completely different location there in Israel in the area of Azotus, about 20 miles north. Now, when it says there he was caught away, it speaks, the Greek does, of being abruptly snatched away and removed in an instantaneous manner. And it's interesting because that's the same term that's used of the catching away of the saints described in 1 Thessalonians 4, where there it describes in 1 Thessalonians 4 how the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout. And it says, we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up, caught away, same idea, to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. See, there's coming a day that just like Philip here who was snatched away and just disappeared, that the Bible says that all true Christians are going to be snatched away abruptly and disappear from this earth to be brought into heaven to be with the Lord before God begins to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And notice that though the workman of God was again removed from this new convert's life, the work of God continued because it says this man, verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. This new convert was filled with the joy of the Lord because he met Jesus. And think about this. What's he going to do now? He's going to go back to Ethiopia. What did God just do? He took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea 
to Samaria, and now he's sending it to the uttermost parts of the world as now this brand new convert becomes the missionary back to Ethiopia to bring the gospel to distant lands far away. And why would that be happening? For one reason, because somebody obeyed the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. How important that we obey the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. We may not see at first what the Lord intends or what he's doing, yet we have to learn to respond in faith because in time, then it will unfold and we will see, okay, Lord, there is something, that's why you're leading me in this way, and I don't know, but perhaps this morning, for some of you, the Spirit of the Lord has been speaking to you regarding something. I'm not saying he's telling you to go out into a desert. What I'm telling you is, is when the Spirit of the Lord is leading you to do something, trust him. Obey in faith. You have no idea what the outcome may be. It could be the saving of a soul. It could be something very important in connection to the Lord's will for your life. But listen to the Spirit and let him lead you and walk by faith and trust that he has good things in store. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray.